episode 175 of Effectively Wild, the BaseballProspectus.com daily podcast. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. Ben, do you know how many... Could you put that .com in every now and then, just so people know how to find the site? Some people are uh, are not as internet savvy uh-huh. as others. Some people might, uh, it might be a situation where their, their grandchildren uh, are uh, playing this podcast right. for them. Right. They, they record it on like a tape. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know who won 175 games in the majors? Uh, no. Derek Lowe. Hmm. Well, and nobody why, else. Why past tense? Uh, yeah. well, no, that's actually why I, if he wins another game, nobody will have won 175 games. Uh-huh. Exactly. On the dot. It will. Interesting. It, uh, most numbers, uh, pretty much every, well, not pretty much. Most numbers are represented, but 175 is dangerously close to being unrepresented. Mm-hmm. Although Mark Burley has 174, uh, and Bartolo Colon is 171, Colon could conceivably end at 175, yeah. and so too could Kevin Millwood, who, unless I missed his official retirement, needs six and needs to stop after six more, which is conceivable. Javier Vasquez, if he ever came through and played one more year, he has 165. So 175. Oswalt, 163. It's not necessarily going to be uh, unoccupied, but right now it's in danger. Well, by then we will be long past 175. We will be at 176. Do you, do you know who won 176? Uh, no, I do not. Frank Viola. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, we're going to talk briefly about three topics today, actually. We skipped from one to three. We're not doing... Our usual two, uh, and we're not doing our recently usual one. We're doing three. So uh, do you want to talk about three topics? Uh, okay. All right. So mine, just a, a brief one. Um, Brian Roberts got hurt yesterday, Thursday. Um, he st- stole second. He slid into second uh, head first, and he pulled a hamstring, um, assuming at this point that he will go on the disabled list. I don't know if that's been announced yet. Uh, so that was sort of sad because Brian Roberts uh, has uh, he was off to a, a decent start in a couple games and he has gotten hurt. Uh, I guess it is now four years in a row. Uh, he has played 59 games in 2010, 39 games in 2011, 17 games in 2012. Uh, so that is that is sad for Brian Roberts. But I, I, when I, I did a lot of uh, interviews about the Orioles for some reason this spring, people kept asking me about the Orioles. And every time they did, I would try to go out of my way to say nice things about the Orioles so as to kind of counter the, the stereotype of a stat head who hates the Orioles. Um, but I, I always kind of wondered why they hadn't done more at certain positions uh, particularly second base, where they went into the season basically counting on Brian Roberts, it seemed like. Uh, so now, assuming Roberts is out for a while, um, basically they're down to Ryan Flaherty and, and Alexi Casilla at second base. Uh, 
they have they have prospect Jonathan Scope, but probably would not use him now or would not want to use him so soon. Uh, so why, wait, why not? Why not? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I mean, I don't think he's. I mean, I guess you you could, but. Well, are you saying he's the best option, or he's not the best option? Mm, probably not the best. I mean, well, he might be the best option just because the other option is Alexi Casilla, but uh, he's a 21-year-old who has not played in AAA yet uh, and hit 245, 324, 386 in AA last year. So that's not really a, an inspiring option right now. Right. Yes. So I wondered, I don't know, I, it, it kind of confused me that they went into the season seemingly depending on Brian Roberts, uh, and now the, the very predictable thing has happened with Brian Roberts, and they're kind of left without, a, without an acceptable starter at that position. Yeah, well, I mean, there wasn't a lot of options no. for, for one thing. I mean, it was a pretty gruesome uh, crop of second basemen. It was. It's, uh, it's sort of a... Kind, I mean, right now, the position itself is very weak. It uh, is arguably the weakest position in baseball. Uh, and the free agent class was basically Marco Scudero and Jeff Kepinger, uh, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess there was, like, Kelly Johnson would have been better than yeah. Alexi Casilla. <laughs> um, I mean, you can always make a trade or something. Um, but, yes, it is a, it is weak, and... There weren't a lot of available options, but I feel like if you have Brian Roberts and you are expecting to compete, uh, I don't know, you, you you don't count on Brian Roberts. Yeah, no, Brian Roberts, it's a sort of, well, I, I've never taken, uh, I've never been that sad about injuries. I'm not a I'm not a person who thinks that it's immoral to root for uh, for an injury yeah, on, it, a, on an opposing team. I, yeah, that has never bothered me. So long as it's not a kind of like, a career threatening like a thing, but, but yeah, or even really, I mean, anything that ended his career would right. would, would be sad. But I mean, you know, if a guy misses six weeks with a, with a hamstring pull, that seems like all fun and games. Uh, but I felt genuine sadness <laughs> watching Brian Roberts uh, lay on the ground after a completely normal slide. It was. I mean, I, at one point, I, I thought, oh, man, what an unlucky guy. I was He's incredibly lucky <laughs> in life. Yeah. I, I have to kind of remind myself that he is neither lucky nor unlucky uh, in a way. Well, I was going to bring up the fact that uh, there was, I don't know, someone who said that he was, I was just reading a story about it, and there were comments by Orioles fans, and they were saying he's so snake bit, and he's had all these freak injuries, and it's like, freak injury he, he stole second base and pulled a hamstring that is what injury prone hitters or position players do they pull they pull things because <laughs> yeah the the uh the the imminence of an injury for a guy like that though is it's it's kind of crazy how most guys are able to do things uh without getting hurt and i mean you know he all he did is he ran you know i mean mm-hmm. he he i assume that he ran Every day this winter, like mm-hmm. that he woke up and worked out for three hours and he never got hurt in those three hours of workouts. And I mean, I've watched ball players work out on their own. It's strenuous, you know, and then he went to he went to spring training. He played every day. He did batting practice. He threw baseballs and none of those things broke him. And then like basically 
the fourth second that he's he's playing in a real game, he gets hurt. It's it's uh, you know, it kind of reminds me of uh, when Juan Gonzalez uh, got hurt on his first at bat after a few years of, of this sort of injury stuff. He got hurt on in his first at bat running to first. And you just think, how many times has he sprinted 90 feet in the last four months? Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's something about... I'm sure once something... you're in a game, uh, there's yes. something, whether it's, I don't know, your, the elevated tension level is somehow reflected in, in your muscles and the tightness of them. Uh, well, there's a... There's a, there's a uh, there's an unpredictability to baseball that I think leads to a lot of injuries. And it, I mean, obviously he was just running from first to second. So there's nothing inherently unpredictable about that. And yet it is different than if you're in practice, if you're, you know, before a game running from first to second, where you just, you know, you're starting at first and you're ending at second and there's nothing in between in a game. There are things, I mean, there are nine other guys in opposition to you uh, who are going to do things to try to get you out. And it doesn't seem like there's a lot that can happen there, but there is a throw coming at him. There is a defender blocking the bag. And it's just slightly in doubt. And that's, I think, what his body can't handle. It's the the slight uh, improvisation required to, to play the game. 2007, 2008, 2009, Brian Roberts played 156 games, 155 games, and 159 games. And he had one year where he hit 50 doubles yep. and led, led the league in doubles and had a uh, and had a 90 OPS plus. And then one, two, three, four, five years later, he 56. hit 56 doubles and led the league. But, I mean, how do, you, how do you hit 50 doubles with a 90 OPS plus? You know what Brian Roberts is for me? Brian Roberts will always be the guy who implanted in my head the idea that doubles turn into home runs uh-huh. and uh, that I don't. I, that that principle has led me so far astray in my life. Uh, like I, in my mind, Coco Crisp should be hitting like 29 home runs now because once he had a big double season. Yeah. But in my head, Brian Roberts was like the patron saint of doubles turned to home runs. Uh-huh. Uh, he, so he kept hitting doubles, and then he added some home runs. Three fifty double seasons. He's got to be. He's got to be the only active player with three fifty double seasons, right? Yeah, maybe. Uh, Probably. I, I would be willing to bet that. But, I mean, a 90 OPS plus with 50 doubles. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Second topic. Quick one. Uh, Evan Longoria passed uh, Ben Zobrist. Well, I, it doesn't look to me like he passed Ben Zobrist on the base paths today. But he was ruled to have passed Ben Zobrist on the base paths today and uh, called out. Cost the Rays a shot at the game um, in the ninth inning. And it just... I want to bring this up it uh, because until this play, it never occurred to me how kind of dumb and disappointing the rule is that players can't pass each other on the base pads. Uh, why did baseball decide to do that, and how much more fun would it be if they could all run <laughs> with each other? Fast guys would never be blocked. Two guys could steal at the same time. Uh, you know, fast fast runner could could pass the other guy. There could be three guys wreaking havoc on the defense because then think about that i mean it could be a legitimate strategy for sowing confusion um but i mean if nothing Which else is maybe you, why it's a rule uh but that's disappointing to me yeah. why is it a rule i mean what i wonder what the principle is because because baseball we're told by poets and, and authors and political pundits is a perfect game that has been sent down from god uh, uh, with every part in place perfectly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in that case, though, what is the moral um, 
moral pr uh, principle that is held in place by the one base runner, one base idea. I don't know. I do kind of. I don't know either. I do kind of enjoy the the sight of a, a pile up also when you have two fast guys stuck behind a really slow guy and they're both trailing him by like six inches as they all score at the same time. That happens every now and then, which I enjoy. But I agree, it would be kind of fun if they could pass each other. Yeah, and so far as I can tell, the only good thing that comes out of the, the rule as it is is that uh, is, you get that visual of the, the gas house gorillas <laughs> yeah. marching across home plate. But uh, at the expense of, I would say, thousands upon thousands of gifts. <laughs> uh, well, we should do some research about the origins of that rule. And I, you, see yeah. if it was inspired by a particular play or player or, or if there's some technicality that we are not considering. Yeah, I mean, baseball, as far as I can tell, is not a metaphor sport. Like a lot of sports are metaphor sports for, you know, various aspects of war or whatever. Uh, but baseball is not a metaphor sport. So I don't think that the idea of holding a base would have any kind of deeper meaning uh, that would prevent two people from holding it simultaneously. Mm. Well, I guess so. Maybe it's not big enough for two people. Brian Roberts uh, also walked 89 times one year. I mean, that, he was really a heck of a player. Yeah, he was very good. Very good, and yet uh, in his entire career, uh, received MVP votes just one time and finished 18th mm -hmm. because he was playing for a bad team. All right, shall we move on? Yes. Uh, last thing is an idea that has been uh, on the Internet for a little bit and burst through into reality, I would say, um, couple days ago uh, when well uh, I, I don't know how to introduce this topic the idea is Jerickson Profar for Oscar Tavares and uh, whether it would make sense the Cardinals GM was asked about it by Jim Bowden and didn't rule it out the Rangers GM was not asked about it by Jim Bowden and also did not rule it out uh, so as far as anybody can tell, this trade might happen. Um, but um, Dave Cameron of the Internet wrote about it today to look at whether it made sense from a thought experiment, experiment perspective. Grant Brisby uh, wrote about it a month ago to see if it made sense and to just sort of bask in uh, how fun it is to think about. Um, and I wrote about it a little bit by accidental proxy a year ago when people were speculating um, uh, about Mike Trout and Bryce Harper and whether they would make sense as uh, parts of a trade for each other. And at the time, uh, in the same way that Profar and Tavares seemed to suit the other team's needs better than their own, uh, you could have made the case quite convincingly, I think, that Trout and Harper suited the other team's needs better than their own. Um, and so I just wonder, first off, what do you think about trade speculation? Uh, I don't engage in it often um, because I feel like I'm not very good at it. Uh, I don't come up with creative trade scenarios. Uh, I feel like I don't have the command of every organization top to bottom that would enable to me uh, enable me to make intelligent trade scenarios um, so it just doesn't occur to me all that often occasionally it it does but 
Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like there are many more productive uses of my baseball thinking time than coming up with hypothetical trade scenarios that almost certainly won't happen. Uh, so Terraris for, for Profar is, is kind of fun uh, to think about and not completely far-fetched. Um, so I, I see why that speculation has arisen, but I don't know, not, not one of my favorite baseball pastimes, the, the hypothetical move. Yeah, I, um, I am a sucker for them. I can't help but make them, even though I know they're the worst. And I also, I mean, when, when you look at, um, various writers or GMs even, uh, predict where players are going to go as free agents, um, talking about an extremely small range of possibilities in that case mm -hmm. um, each player is can only go to 30 different teams and realistically can only go to maybe at most 9 10 and yet they never get any of them right it's right. just they never get any right it's every time worse than you know it's random chance right yep. and so then when you start thinking about a trade proposal and what the math actually is uh, I mean you're talking about thousands to the power of thousands and the idea that there's anything remotely tied to reality um, sort of makes it clear. I mean, there is not there. It is it is one of those things that we talk about that is least tied to reality. There is nothing remotely real about it. There has never been a suggested trade that any one of us has ever written that came true. Uh, there have been I, you <laughs> there know, must sometimes have been at some point. Nope. Never, never, <laughs> never. It's never happened. Somebody at some point went, said, uh, oh, you know, Reed Johnson would be great for this guy and, you know, maybe they could get this for him. And Reed Johnson was traded, uh -huh. but not for that guy. Uh -huh. I mean, you know, it's never for that guy. How would you, what, I mean, come on. Like, what are the odds that you actually would get all the parts right? right. I think, though, that there there is a, um, they do have value because they're they're essentially a way of ranking players but without the abstractness of a numbered list, uh, you're ranking players in a m sort of meaningful way where you're looking at their, um, their value to different situations. You're looking at their contract status. You're, you know, you're looking at their growth. You're looking at all the things that would be attractive about them. And so it's a way of, I would say, getting deep into a player's um, kind of profile mm -hmm. uh and so for that reason i do think that there's some value to them just just not in any predictive way as for the uh tavares profar idea specifically um the i i also i i wondered a year ago why these trades of mega prospects for mega prospects don't ever happen especially because as we've talked about uh on this show it's easier than ever to kind of evaluate what each prospect's value really is yeah. um, now that people have kind of looked at historically what prospects do as in aggregate. Mm -hmm. And the problem that I, uh, the problem with them is that the, even though we kind of know the, the, the median performance level for prospects at each tier, the range of performances is absolutely insane. Um, and not in the same way that all, pro all baseball players range of possibilities are insane. Um, you you don't know what Mike Napoli is going to do this year, or you didn't know in 2011, but you knew that he was basically either going to be replacement level or worth five wins or something more likely around the middle. With top prospects, you literally can't really zero in any better than somewhere between Mickey Mantle and... Uh, 
whatever Rick Ankeel turned into, where he had to like actually stop pitching. He was so bad uh, and go away for four years and then come back as like a pinch hitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that's the actual range of a number one or a number two prospect. And so I looked at every number one and number two prospect from 95 to 2005 and imagined if those trades had all happened and looked at the uh, how much how many wins each player would produce in the six years they were under team control and there are no well there's basically one or two close trades in the bunch prior for Beckett would have been a close trade for six years and actually Ben Grieve for Paul Canerco even though it doesn't sound like a close trade would have been a very close trade the rest would have essentially all been landslides and you're talking about like you know a rod for ruben rivera and um uh, uh jd drew for rick and keel and i guess not all of them are landslides andrew jones for paul wilson there's a couple that are actually close joe mauer for felix hernandez would have been close rocco baldelli for mark Teixeira. you're talking about trades that would get a, a gm fired mm-hmm. and uh you could look at that and say well the other guy though would get you know just as much gain i mean in the aggregate they all work out to a push but nobody there's you know you're not going to get nearly the benefit from pulling off one of those trades as you uh, successfully as you will from losing one of those trades by 30 wins uh it's just one of those sort of situations where coasting downhill is never as relaxing as riding uphill is um the opposite you know if that analogy makes sense right because if uh, you, if yeah, if you make that trade and it's and it backfires and there's a significant chance that it will, then that's the sort of thing that gets held over your head forever. Uh, yes. And maybe you get fired because of that, or in part because of that. Whereas, if you hold on to the guy and he is the consensus best or second best prospect in baseball, and he doesn't pan out, um, probably yeah, no one, about it? right? No one will yeah. will blame you for expecting that he would pan out. Exactly. And the, one of the examples I gave is that everybody remembers that John Daniels traded Adrian Gonzalez away for nothing, but very few people remember that he traded nothing for Adrian Gonzalez in the first place. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, one of those trades is hung over him a lot more than the other one is, is hung over him. I think that one other thing is when we talked about the Blue Jays uh, trade for Reyes, Burley, and, and Johnson, uh, and we talked about the TikTok story that the Toronto Star had written about it. I think it was the Toronto Star. Um there's a they talked a lot about how difficult it is to give up prospects because there are actually a lot of people in the organization who are personally attached to them who have a lot invested in them and there is probably a little bit of a reluctance to trade prospects i think because um you do kind of piss off the scout a little bit Mm -hmm. when you trade his guy i mean not piss him off like he's gonna quit in a huff or anything but you know that guy Put a lot of work into getting that prospect and he's got a lot emotionally invested into it and it's not easy to 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 trade those guys so it's it's probably even if profar and Tavares produce exactly the same amount from this point forward for each of their teams there is probably a, um, a case that can be made that each one is worth a little bit more to his own team because uh you know the guy you love the guy mm-hmm. yeah makes sense to me all right, it's the end of the show. We'll be back on Monday with episode 176. Send in questions to podcasts at baseballprospectus.com. Our, our brief but impassioned plea for iTunes uh, ratings yesterday netted us three ratings. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we will be back on Monday. <laughs>